Good afternoon, and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, the podcast that takes a family spanning three generations around the world to different destinations. That's right. We travel around the world with in-laws. Hey there, slow down before you get yourself into too much trouble. That's not being fair. We actually enjoy traveling a family. The challenge facing a three-generation family is trying to create an environment where people can do as much as possible together, while still allowing a degree of flexibility that allows some of us to choose our own activities. For example, my kids want to climb to the top of the mountain overlooking a city. We're apt to enjoy the scenic overlook halfway up the mountain, while my parents are happy staying at the bottom of the mountain walking the old town. We always have a meet-up place afterwards. We share our travel perspectives as someone that travels with the grandparents and kids that range in age from 10 to the early 20s. It's not that you can't travel with a younger audience. In fact, we think that our approach will make traveling with younger audiences even easier. Younger audiences simply mean that you have to account for the different speeds of the younger ones. Each episode will try and help you visualize one particular destination, typically over the course of the week, although not in this episode. We want to help you understand what you will see while you are traveling. And it's not that each episode requires as much time as we're spending on it. But by describing each destination over the course of a week or two, you will have an opportunity to better understand what the trade-offs are between different length itineraries. And this is not just an exercise in walking you through our itinerary. I'm the one that has to bridge different personalities and getting everyone comfortable. For example, I have to account for the picky eaters. We also have questions like where we should stay. How can you enjoy a destination when someone needs to get over jet lag? What are the activities for our faster people and those that want more of a restful experience? We do our best travel planning at the local coffee shop. So pack up the wagon, head to your nearest coffee shop, and pull up a latte while we walk you through your trip to Iceland. Iceland is obviously a large country, about the size of Kentucky. We're not going to tackle all of Iceland in 40 minutes. But I like to tackle Iceland as three generations of tourists would look at it as compared to three generations of travel in places like Alaska, Yellowstone, Maid, and Acadia National Park. So in terms of location, we're going to focus on the things that any traveler will experience upon their arrival in Keflavik and capital city of Reykjavik. And for today's audience's context, we're recording this in February 2021, where Americans cannot travel to Iceland, and the European Union can only travel after a quarantine. As always, please check with various authorities to ascertain the exact nature of your travel. Finally, it's important to know what we mean by three generations of travelers. When we refer to three generations of traveling, we're referring to three generations with different interests and different speeds vacationing together. In this case, we rented a very cozy seven-person minivan circling an island nation on what is sometimes a one-lane road. Joining us today are some of those seven passengers, including my better half, Kimberly, my in-laws Bob and Karen, and my daughter Kaylee. All of them put up with me for almost three weeks around the Ring Road in Iceland. My question is to Kim, why should three generations of family traveling together consider going to Iceland? That's a great question to ask. Why should we go to Iceland? Iceland is a place of surreal beauty, incredible landscape, sometimes looking like the moon, with bright green moss, towering glaciers, volcanoes, hot springs, fields of lava. There's no other place like this. And you get to do it with your family. Enjoy quality time, making memories. And I believe that's why you travel with three generations. Thank you. My first question is to my mother-in-law, Karen. So describe getting off the plane, landing early in Iceland, and what you do that first time when you first get off the plane until you get squared away in the capital city of Reykjavik. Getting out of the airport was very easy. It was a small airport. We planed, got our luggage very easily, got into the rental car, and we just hit the road. The first place we went to was the lava area. Then the biggest thing I remember that day is the Blue Lagoon because it was just such an experience. Yeah, the geothermal seawater, it was relaxing but rejuvenating. I was good for the rest of the day, and normally we're always a little tired the first day of traveling. The Blue Lagoon is one of the things that just stuck in my mind so much. Okay. And did you eat at the Blue Lagoon, and how was the food at the Blue Lagoon? Oh, it was delicious. We ate at the Lava Restaurant. The food was some of the best that we had all in all of Iceland and upscale for Iceland. I understand now they actually have a hotel right at Blue Lagoon. If or when we go back, I'd like to spend a couple of days at the Blue Lagoon. Okay. 
So that kind of takes us through the first half day in Iceland. Just to recap, we've landed in Keflavik. We've toured the Reykjanes Peninsula. We've toured some of the uh, lighthouses and sea cliffs. We've made our way to the Blue Lagoon just around Garter. And I think there's a, a 45-minute trip from the Blue Lagoon to Reykjavik itself. So, Kimberly, why don't you talk to me about the trip out of the Blue Lagoon into Reykjavik and what you do for the second half of your, your first travel day. So we're driving out of the Blue Lagoon parking lot, heading down to Reykjavik. It should be about a 20 to 30 minute drive, depending where you stay in Reykjavik. But you need to appreciate after the Blue Lagoon and a long day of traveling, you will get very tired. The whole car fell asleep on me as I'm trying to drive back. So I was a little exhausted. I'm trying to keep my eyes open and I'm yelling at my husband to stay awake with me because I'm tired and I needed the directions that he had on his phone. Mind you, this is a short drive. This is not a long drive, but because I was so exhausted and how relaxed I was after the Blue Lagoon, I just wanted to take a nap when I got back to the Airbnb. We made it to Reykjavik, but we're all in different stages of traveling now because I needed a nap, but all the other six people in my car were raring to go because they had their hour power nap. So at this point, I let my kids go walk around downtown Reykjavik. Mind you, the kids were teenagers. We unpacked everything. I laid down for about an hour. When I woke up, we went toward the opera house, walked around the harbor area. Also, the kids found a great crate place to eat, so they couldn't wait to take me back. So it was a really enjoyable, more relaxing evening. And after my power nap, I felt perfect. Thank you. And I think one of the things you were saying is, is that you stayed at a very good location within a couple blocks of the main shopping street, the Log of Eger. And so you were saying, while some people needed more of a nap, you were close enough to interesting things where people could explore within a couple blocks of where you were staying. You could explore the prime shopping street. You could explore the opera house, the, the Harpa. Talk to me about the famous hot dog stand that you visited that first night, I think made famous by keeping up with the Kardashians. And what is your opinion of Icelandic hot dogs? So you're asking me about what I think about Iceland hot dogs? I'm probably not a fair judge to ask, but I'm going to answer this question. I come from an area where we put ketchup on our hot dogs, and don't you forget, you could not believe I did that when we first met. Iceland hot dogs, kind of more like a Hebrew national hot dog, have a creamy mustard sauce, like a remoulade sauce, that has like mayonnaise, brown sweet mustard, capers, herbs, so for me, I still enjoyed my hot dog with ketchup. We enjoyed eating outside at the picnic tables at Pilserder, which is the hot dog stand in Reykjavik. You eat, kind of relax a little bit. Good way to have a quick, cheaper meal for Iceland. It's definitely a cool place and relaxed for families to go. And you don't have to worry about the little ones running around or your teenagers messing around because it's in an open area. The one thing I remember about that day is going to see the Sun Voyager. Yeah, in the concert hall. I, I enjoyed that part of the trip. Okay. And the Sun Voyager, of course, is the famous stainless steel statue that, along the waterside that mimics a abstract instantiation of a Viking ship that was first used to discover Iceland in the 11th century or so. One other question for you, Karen. So I understand that you aligned with Kristen in terms of food, restaurants, and looking for crepes on the main drag, which is what your youngest granddaughter liked. Tell me about Icelandic crepes on Lagavegger. Oh, they were delicious. What was fun was going and we watched them make it. We could choose exactly what we wanted in it. We visited that store a lot. They were just extremely delicious crepes. So then looking at your itinerary, I say that you all got a good night's sleep. Be sure to caught up on jet lag. And so you had your first full day in Iceland. And you chose to go to perhaps one of the more famous Icelandic tours, which is the Golden Circle, which includes the uh, Thingvellir, the, the place of the Icelandic parliament, uh, snorkeling between continental plates, some geothermal sites with geysers and big waterfalls. Kimberly, I'm going to ask you to describe to me your day in the Golden Circle, what you enjoyed and some of the particularities of your day in the Golden Circle. So it started off with all of us enjoying the car drive. It's going to be a little bit of a drive. And the one thing that we did as a family, we started counting waterfalls. My children, my parents, we all thought it was really cool to see waterfalls. 
until after we saw about 150 of them. We stopped counting and they're just everywhere. But it was really amazing just to have a very cool venture of driving and seeing waterfalls. But we also got to go snorkeling between continents, which is an interesting and unique experience. There's not many places in the world where you can go snorkeling between the European and the North American tectonic plates. It was called Sulphur Snorkeling, and it's in Thing- Thingerville National Park. And it was an interesting experience. You are in a dry suit, so no worries if you didn't bring your bathing suit. The, the temperature is cold, so you will stay in a dry suit. They have all the equipment there for you. So totally worth doing. Okay. Karen, other thoughts you had on the, the day in the Golden Circle, including the big waterfalls uh, and snorkeling between the intercontinental plates? and maybe the first site of the Icelandic Parliament. We enjoyed the Gullfest waterfall, but I really enjoyed the geyser geothermal area. Just to sit there, and it was like you could set your watch on the geyser setting off. I haven't been out west to see our geyser, Old Faithful, so this was really interesting to me. And I see for your first two days, it looks like the weather was rainy, so how were you able to deal with less than ideal weather for the first two days in Iceland? Did it impact your trip at all? And how would you advise travelers to dress for Iceland? As far as I was concerned, um, going to the Blue Lagoon on that 40-degree rainy day was absolutely perfect. You stayed warm. It just made the experience even more Icelandic. So I I also say that it's a must that you bring a rain jacket. You always have to bring a rain jacket and something that's going to keep your hands warm, your feet warm, good socks, good shoes. Hiking shoes are very important for this trip. A winter coat is also good to have because typically it's our summer and it's chilly there. Okay. And I see from your itinerary notes that uh, you were traveling in Iceland with a temperature generally between 50 and 70 degrees. Meanwhile, I believe that the east coast of the U.S. was in a heat wave with temperatures on or above 100 degrees. So certainly for those looking to escape the August heat on the east coast of the U.S., Iceland can be a very attractive destination, even with rain. So Kimberly, I'm going to ask you a question. One of the things we talk about through Generations Travel, I know it's often your job to try and mediate some of the things that may cause difficulties where people are struggling to to travel. And I want to talk about the topic of food. So for our audience's sake, why don't you describe what you think was would be a good Icelandic breakfast and, and how you really made your three generations of traveler feel at home when it came to breakfast in Iceland? So when it came to food in Iceland and breakfast, I would say we were looking for a good um, cafe shop or a pastry shop that had really good coffee because I'm definitely a person that really likes a good cup of coffee in the morning. And I'll certainly provide copies of these particular bakeries in our show notes. I think typically I recall that many of the pastries resembled uh, what we would call in America, Long John's or Bismarck's, a type of eclair, if you will. Okay. Okay, Yeah, there was Mocha Cafe, I think is a place that we went to that was good. So Karen, we, we go from breakfast to dinner. And I think the night you went to the Golden Circle, you celebrated your 46th wedding anniversary and you went to Pearlins. So why don't you describe the, the Pearlin restaurant for our audience? Oh, that's very upscale. It was absolutely gorgeous. You could actually see the night sky from the table. It was a rotating it very slow. You could barely tell it was moving. We were hoping to see some northern lights that night, but we didn't luck out that night, but we did see it later in the trip. The food was just top notch. We all had seafood, which is delightful. Really enjoyed the whole night. And I think the Pearline is unique in its location because it uh, is a rotating restaurant on the top of a hill. So you get to overlook downtown Reykjavik with the, uh, the famous uh, church in addition to the harbor and the mountains. So over the course of a 90-minute uh, meal, you certainly get to see everything that uh, surrounds Reykjavik. So then looking at your itinerary, I see that, Kimberly, you went north to the Snaefelsnes Peninsula after going to Husavell. So describe your, I guess, combined three days of travel to the Snaefelsnes Peninsula. Why should somebody consider the Snaefelsnes Peninsula, which can start, I believe, about an hour and a half, two hours north of Reykjavik, as you go further west? Describe that to our audience and some of the things that you enjoyed about the Snaefelsnes Peninsula. So I think the Snaefelsnes Peninsula offers everything Iceland has in a small area, I think they call it the mini Iceland Peninsula. It can offer you the glaciers. It can offer you the black sand beaches. It can offer you a couple of opportunities of hiking and you can see seals and you can go see whales. 
But we ended up going into Staplesness and met this lovely, I guess, curter or whatever you would call it at, at our hotel and didn't appreciate that that was the only restaurant in town. And we were like, oh, do we have to make reservations? And she's, I would say yes, because we're the only one here. And so we need to know how much we're cooking for. So we ended up making reservations and talking to her. She did our laundry for us, which was super nice because we were trying to find a place because we didn't bring a lot of stuff for rainy weather. So it was a good idea to have. Anyway, that's another story. But and then she gave us this great itinerary of wanting to say, hey, this is where you need to start off with. And then I'm going to call my friend who can get you on a glacier trip. So we ended up driving to the sand beaches looking. I think we even saw a seal or two. And then we drove around and went to the glacier and did the cat thing glacier. Mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah, the uh, Snafelessness, uh, Snafeless Yokel uh, Glacier. So Karen, describe your day leading up to the uh, glacier tour and, and maybe some of the uh, the how sparse things got as you were traveling to the glacier. As far as that's that whole entire stop, that was one of my favorite stops because I can remember pulling up to it and we're thinking it was just a gas station. And then we found out it's the hotel and then we found out it's the restaurant. But it was one, it was very pleasant. They did such a nice job. So I was in particular asking about the lunch place and having lunch before you got on the glacier and maybe how you ran out of time. Oh yeah, that was a fun time. We still think of that. I can't see a commercial for the broccoli uh, cheddar cheese soup without thinking of that. When we were going to pick up the glacier, we stayed at the cafe that was part of this whole tour area. And they weren't open to, to serve food, but they were serving food to their employees who were working, getting this commercial building in, in order. I'm sitting there watching this swirl of smoke come off the soup, and it just looked like a Campbell soup commercial. So I approached the woman to see if she'd be willing to sell a lunch to me and my group as a total of seven. And she said, sure. So we sat down with all the workers and started eating this, the most delicious broccoli cheese soup in my life because we were freezing. We were hungry. That was a pleasant day. A a little scary going up to the top of the glacier, but enjoyable. Okay. And so Kimberly, why don't you tell me about the experience at the top of the glacier and what they did to make the experience at top of the glacier extra special for this party of visitors. So we had someone drive us in what's called a snowcat type mm-hmm. of thing that we drove up to the mountain. And once we got up to the glacier, they said, okay, the bar is open. You're allowed to have a shot of vodka over ice that could be 10,000 years old, which is cool when you think about this. You, They can pick out a piece of ice off of a glacier and say, I bet this ice is old. And it could even be older than that. So they start off with a shot of vodka over top of ice at the top. And then you can get, you can order some more drinks if you'd like to have a drink at the top of the glacier. Okay. And of course, our teenagers took it, took total, decided, yes, I'm going to have, try that shot. Okay. My recommendation, bring an extra pair of boots though. Okay. So Karen, I understand that there's that time in Iceland can be relative and that the concept of whether something is 10 minutes off the road, can you describe what it means, whether or not something is a McDonald's attraction, whether or not something is 10 minutes away off the road, or what it really means to be a one hour excursion off the road for some of the excursions you experienced throughout Iceland? Everything is 10 minutes away to them. It could be 45 minutes or an hour. I've come to adjust to where it might be 10, 15 minutes for some people with me being the senior generation that goes, it's going to be like a 45 minute walk for me at times. We make jokes about that all the time. We say right. a 10 minute Iceland walk is a three hour walk in general. Right. So you saw a lot of sites, both in the interior of the mountains on the Snaefellsness Peninsula, including the Snaefellsness Yokel Glacier, some of the canyons and cliffs with some interior waterfalls that were pretty spectacular in addition to a lot of the hanging arches and wildlife appearing on the coast. You made your way back to the town at the end of the day, and then you broke the next day for a not insubstantial trip to Akureyri. So with uh, regional sites that included one of the 13th century villages, Kimberly, why don't you describe Akureyri, Lake Mivatn, and Husavik for our audience, which was really the, the next stop. If you're looking at Iceland as, as a clock, Akureyri and Lake Mivatn are about anywhere from, including the Trolls Peninsula, are anywhere from 11 o'clock on the clock to one o'clock on the clock. And don't forget your bug spray for Lake Mavatn, where it's a beautiful lake. It's a volcanic lake in northern Iceland. It's definitely has a lot of 
flies. But it, there are some really cool hot spring areas. It's got a view. It's the fourth largest body of water. And there's a lot of floral and there's a lot of geological features around Lake. Karen, why don't you describe your experience with the whale watching tour in Husavik? Oh, that was a highlight of my whole trip there that we, they dressed us up in the suits. The only thing that was exposed was our face. And I do believe we had some glasses on to even protect our eyes during this trip. We went out on? We went on a Zodiac boat. Zodiac boat. I would recommend everybody do the Zodiac boat because you just feel like you're right there down there with the whales. And we saw several whales. I think they were minx whale. And again, as Kimberly mentioned, we went on uh, a Zodiac on Gentle Giants was the name of the tour operator. Usovic, of course, being most famous for the Will Ferrell movie Eurovision, which is set when he starts off in Iceland, which I recommend to everyone on the North Coast. And of course, you are in the Arctic Ocean. So Kimberly, you were talking about Lake Mivatn and really is a collection of a variety of volcanic and thermal attractions there. Can you maybe describe some of the diversity of geothermal attractions you saw around Lake and including the uh, the dairy where you had dinner that night? Lake Mivatn is formed basically by lava fissures, and they say it's from the eruption 2,300 years ago. It's a volcanic landscape that is just got craters in it, and then water's kind of put over it. So it, it's a clear, it's really a magical-looking lake or geothermal area in Iceland. I do find it very pretty. Again, like I said, just make sure you bring your bug spray. So after that, we decided to stop in to this place called Milk Dairy Farm. It was a dairy farm. And we were going to go and sit down and have burgers and have a good lunch. We get there. It's a place where your kids can actually see the cows. You get to sit next to a window, get to see cows. You get to experience being on a, a working farm. Now, per se, they also give you a story about their farms. So they do have a beef farm down the street. They have a dairy farm. We were sitting at the dairy farm. And at that point, so if you do have vegetarians, highly recommend you not sit next to the stalls. stalls. Yeah, because our daughter was crying and got very upset and could not believe we were going to eat the cow that was behind the window. But... We weren't. This is a dairy farm. So at that point, it was pretty comical. We thought it was a joke, but she was really serious. She was very upset. So they made her a grilled cheese sandwich, which worked out perfectly, and we got to have burgers. And it was a good burger. And of course, afterwards, the ice cream was fantastic. So to help our audience visualize what is Akureyri, it's really the second largest city in Iceland. But to say it's a city, I believe it's only a city of around 20,000 people set along the side of a hill overlooking a fjord. And so from nearly anywhere in town... You can almost always see the narrow inlet or fjord with which the the city is set on. So it's just a great place to recoup with a variety of dining options that day, especially when you're out in the Icelandic countryside. You may not have that many options for, for one or two hours on end when you're driving between the different places you want to see. So I do recommend Akureyri as a destination. And, and more importantly, it's close to places like Lake Mivatn, which Kimberly just described, and Husavik, which Karen just described. Before we move on from Akureyri and that region of the north at, at 12 o'clock on the Icelandic Green Road, I'm going to ask you about the part of the excursion you went to after Husavik and the whale watching, and that was between the Horseshoe Canyon, Aspergi, and along the, the rural road to Dedifoss. I believe you guys went on the east side of the Akusa River to see Dedifoss, which is the largest waterfall in Europe. Do you want to describe the Horseshoe Canyon and maybe what it means to really get out there in the, the interior along some of the F roads to see some of the more rural waterfalls and other attractions that's the where the girls were pretending to fall off the cliff that oh, we could okay, video, that we could take a picture of them making it look like they're falling yes. off and then your son-in-law said oh come on get out of my picture that time <laughs> oh man yeah. so we were a very large huge waterfall not a long walk from the parking lot our girls were trying to have fun with taking pictures to make them look like they're falling into the waterfall. Right. we were at the top of it then. yeah yeah and uh yeah, i remember that now i'd say it's really a study in two contrasts right because for what is a relatively easy road drive from husavik to the Aspergi canyon you get this really green and lush canyon with some quaint water overlooking maybe what might be a 150 foot tall cliff in the shape of a horseshoe where you're in the interior of the horseshoe and I call it the Horseshoe Canyon because according to legend, it was the footprint left by Thor's horse as he stepped down on earth. And so you go from really what is a lush and green landscape and protected to what I would say for people that are looking at getting out into the Icelandic interior on some of the F roads, uh, legally in order to be on those roads and to be insured, you need to have 
what is some type of off-road vehicle because imagine driving, uh, I'm saying this is somebody who spent a lot of time in Colorado. Imagine taking the roughest forest access road in some of the Colorado high country for an hour and a half or two hours on end. That was really what the nature of the road trip was to go to the, the east side of Deddy Foss back in 2016. It really is that rough of a road. I think you're really struggling to travel more than 30 miles an hour for, for really the better part of an hour and a half between getting into that particular destination and out of that destination. But once you're there and to sit on the side of this canyon and be able to overlook the, the largest waterfall in Europe, to be able to drink in the sound of the falls, really not have any distractions or any commercial attractions there, it's, it's just you and nature and your family. I would commend it to everyone, even if it wasn't necessarily the easiest of roads to travel. Yeah, so, and that's a good point. But there's also, if you have a young child or a young kid, again, they keep nature very natural there. They do not have um, ropes roping you off to say this isn't safe. The rocks can get slippery. So, of course, as a mother, I'm worried, and I have teenagers who really don't listen to parents that well. So that's why they were sending me the pictures of pretending to fall off, and they weren't even close. It's something that you have to remember in Iceland, there's not a lot of ropes or safety measures out there for if you were to fall. So you have to make sure you're safe and, and you stay well within the rocks because you, you can go sit on a nice large black rock and watch the waterfall for hours if you want. Okay. At times, Iceland is as magical, almost a Disney-esque experience. It doesn't have Disney's safety nets or safety features. And for people like teenagers, you absolutely can get yourself in trouble with some very dangerous selfies. I, I think I saw that among the world's most dangerous tourist attractions, many of them were tied to people hiking along cliffs or taking dangerous selfies. So by all means, uh, please for the fact that there are not many safety restraints for people that are inclined to travel and, and really get out there in the country. We saw the Northern Lights in Akureyri on the north coast of the Arctic oh, okay. Ocean. Other side. Uh, you know, Sorry. again, one of the things you're struggling with, if you're trying to see Northern Lights, you want an earlier sunset. For August, sunset was around, I want to say around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Many of the nights we were there for two weeks, depending on where we were in the time. The Northern Lights were difficult. Um, we did see them at times, but again, if, if you really want to see the Northern Lights, I think most people would, would commend you to go in the heart of winter just because you have that many more hours to, to take in the Northern Lights. So this wraps up the uh, the part of the uh, travel into north of the country, and we really go to what is two and three o'clock, the region called the East Fjords of the country. It is a fairly desolate, I want to say, a four to five hour long trip from what is the region of Akureyri to the next big portion of civilization. I believe it's the third largest town in Iceland, and that is Egelstadter. Now, Egelstadter is is really at the north end of a, a fairly long man-made lake in east of the country that, that was used as a reservoir for some of the uh, hydro facilities and also some of the supply, uh, some of the surrounding uh, mountain towns. Nevertheless, so we used Egelstadter as a base to explore some of the East Fjord towns. Kimberly, do you want to describe uh, your excursion to Egelstadter and Hengefoss at that time, including Sedis Fjorder and the uh, east side Fjord town? So I remember going to Sadis Fjorder, and I think that's where it was a really cool, very quaint town. It's in this valley of a mountain. So you're climbing 30 minutes, just climbing up the mountain. And then you come into this magical, sleepy type of old boat town. And they have picnic tables and little houses that are colorful that you can go in and grab a beer. So that's what we did. We ended up going into the bar, grabbing a beer, sitting on a picnic table, looking at the water, the ships. It's a, it's a small town. Not a lot of people are there, but everyone was extremely friendly at the time. It was a fun little excursion of the day to go to Sadisfurter. Hengefoss was, I want to say, fantastic. When I say and joke about a three-hour um, hike. Iceland told us, ah, oh, it's about 20 minutes to Hengefoss. And I believe it ended up being three hours one way to Hengefoss. That was where we packed our lunch. There was a lot of places to stop and rest because my mom and my daughter, they ended up stopping and there were some benches there and we ended up having a nice picnic lunch. And then some of us went on to go see the bottom of Hengefoss. My mom and my daughter stayed, had a great view. Now they're not at all upset of staying there. When Hengefoss is, when you get closer, you can see basalt columns at the bottom. It's really a cool waterfall, but it's very large. We keep feeling like the waterfall is getting further away as we're walking to it. So it was deception because of the distance and how clear everything was there. But we did get there. It was totally worth going there. 
I'll, I'll say two things. In 2021, first, be aware that Satis Fjorders had a variety of mudslides and flooding, so please be sure to check the condition. Unfortunately, a number of people have had to be evacuated from Satis Fjorder to deal with the slide conditions, but it really is unfortunate because Satis Fjorder was a, a magical town to go in there. You essentially cross a mountain pass to get into it, and then the whole way down from the mountain pass into the end of the fjord on the eastern end of Iceland is in effect accompanied by a stream of endless waterfalls along the way in. So it really is a spectacular drive in. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you're there, you're alongside the uh, Rainbow Road between the famous Blue Church and Satis Fjorder. It really doesn't get any better than that. And I, I think Hengefoss unfortunately proves the Icelandic rule. That is, when they tell you something is an hour away, really you're spending about six hours hiking to the, the base of the falls and back. One thing I'd say about the north coast of Iceland and the east coast of Iceland is that, at least for August weather, is that the weather on the west coast and the south coast often wasn't cooperating. It was often rainy and, and drizzly, in some cases with a low cloud cover. We got on the Arctic Ocean, we got on the, the east side of Iceland on the Atlantic Ocean, and the weather could not have been more spectacularly sunny, gorgeous weather, even getting a sunburn at times. So uh, don't shy away from the Arctic Ocean or the East Fjords, even though they are more difficult to get to and, and more rugged. I agree with that. And I think in Satis Fjord or there were kids that were in the water and it was still 50 degrees, but they were thinking it was 80 degrees because 50 degrees to them is summer. So it was cute to see some of these younger kids going into the water. Okay. So Karen, again, pulling up your itinerary, I see that you went to dine at Cafe Nielsen twice, which is uh, one of the more famous restaurants indeed in all of Iceland located in uh, Egelstadter. I want you to describe the Cafe Nielsen experience to our audience and, and why all three generations of your traveling party enjoyed Cafe Nielsen so much. They had the best pasta. The little small lobsters called? Languistine. Languistine. They had a languistine pasta dish there. It was so absolutely delicious. We actually went at two days in a row and, and had the same exact dinner. Okay. And they had the best lobster bisque, if I can add. Oh, that's That was delicious. And they had a good kids menu for our picky eaters, the chicken nugget eaters. But everyone had the pasta because it was homemade pasta. And from the outside of the restaurant, you're not going to expect this delicious cuisine outside Mm -hmm. because it looks like an old house that's been, you know, made into a restaurant. So that's definitely on everybody's recommended place. Yeah, everybody should go there and eat when they're in that area. I would say out of all my vacations, I still want that seafood pasta from Cafe <laughs> I still love the broccoli and cheese soup from the glacier. We've essentially gotten to three o'clock on the Icelandic Beltway, also called the N1. And so we're wrapping up our time in Egelstadter and the East Fjords, and we're making our way to really what is oftentimes more popular attractions, uh, things that are, are frankly a long day excursion from cruise ships and layovers in Reykjavik. And we get to the South Coast and we deal with some of the more famous international attractions. First, I, I tell you, somebody was a passenger on this trip, the, the drive from Egelstadter to Vopnafjordur at uh, four o'clock on the Icelandic Beltway was stunning and spectacular. Being above the clouds and looking down across the clouds with mountain peaks coming across of it was among the more picturesque journeys I've done. You go down into the, again, the, the narrow inlets alongside the Southeast Coast and you make your way to Hoffen perhaps most famously known as the Batman Mountain. I think it's uh, Stockness is what it's also called in some of the images. I understand before you really got to the stream of endless attractions on the South Coast, I think you guys laid over in, in Hoffman, and I think there's a famous lobster slash languistine restaurant there called Hummerhofen. Kimberly and Karen, I guess I'll ask Kimberly first. Describe your experience at Hummerhofen and in Hoffman itself as you're dining there and getting ready for a busy day on the uh, glacial lagoons. So that's where we had that uh, languistine dinner. Kind of reminds me if we were going to be going to Boston or some type of beach house that was sitting on the water and they thinking I'm going to have a lobster dinner. And I have these languistines that are between shrimp and lobster. So I got a four languistines. It was a fantastic dinner. And if you were to look at the three-star attractions on the South Coast, you would see things like the Glacial Lagoon, the uh, Svartifoss Waterfall. Kimberly, why don't you start off describing the uh, Glacial Lagoon and, and why it's worthwhile and what your family enjoyed about it? Sure. The Glacier Lagoon, we also decided to take a smaller boat on the Glacier Lagoon. We wanted to go check out what they call Diamond Beach, Glacier Lagoon, Gyokul Sarlin. It is probably one of the prettiest things you will ever see. There was a seal in the front going back and forth over this huge glacier that probably was the size of four houses together. 
and standing up about 25, 50 feet, actually higher than that, floors, I would have to assume. So then you go to the beach, the ice behind it glistens like diamonds. That's why they call it Diamond Beach. And then the water is really blue. So we ended up going on the smaller boat, which I don't think that this place, I would care what boat I got on in this situation. Whereas the whale watching definitely splurged for the Zodiac boat. But for the Glacier Lagoon, I don't think I would have done that if I were to do it over again. I remember we were going by the glaciers and they were like, oh, I want to touch one. And the, and the guys, no, you don't want to touch one because if it flips over, then it's really dangerous for us. You have to understand the ice and the glacier are huge. Yeah. And the one guy insisted, he insisted he, on touching it. Yes. He wanted to touch it. He almost fell in and he almost pulled your father in with him. So. Yes. So you got to be careful when you're going on the Glacier Lagoon and the Zodiac boats. It is the prettiest yeah. ice. It, it's something to see. And you get to see the glacier in the background and then you're in the water where you get to see these large ices just floating around you. And it's just the coolest thing. And then you can go to the beach right next door. You don't even have to get into your car. Then you can actually pick up the, the ice on the beach. They tell you to be careful because there are waves that will come in and take you. But this isn't the dangerous beach. It's just beautiful taking pictures with the water and the colors in the sky. You watch the icebergs flow out too yeah. at the time. And what I read probably just a couple of weeks ago that the iceberg that sank the Titanic actually came from that area. Oh, wow. So Karen, talk about your experience on the South Coast with the Basalt Column waterfall at uh, Vatnajökull National Park, I think, which was a very, fairly substantial hike, the Black Diamond Beach, the uh, Glacial Lagoon. Talk about your experience for these first few attractions. I'll be honest. It felt like you were on a Hollywood set because the Black Beach just looked like black diamonds. You saw the sparkle, like Kim said, but the Glacier Bay, that definitely looked like a Hollywood set because the blue is an unreal blue and set right up against the white birds floating there. It's a must-do when you go to Iceland. I'm looking at your itinerary, and I see that there are a lot of attractions in really one night per stay, very much safari-style traveling, where you're going from attraction to attraction and moving out of the next place the next day. You spent the night in Vik. They had the twin sister columns, Puffin Hill, before you had a fairly busy day. So talk about eating at Vik and going to Puffin Hill, walking on the beach, uh, close to the sneaker waves. Any other thoughts on, on the 6 o'clock position on the Icelandic Beltway? I will say when we went on, you know, Puffin Beach, it was beautiful. They have these rock formations or volcanic formations outside in the ocean itself that you get to look at. Our kids were walking the beach, and the next thing we know, they're going up the mountain to sit with the puffins. It, it's not a bad area. It's a small trail. But they really wanted to sit with the puffins. They loved it. You got to see the puffins on the hill. You can walk up a small little somewhat dangerous hill, but not too bad, to where the puffins are sitting there and watching it. Now, on the other side of that, we decided not to go on the beach because of the sneaker waves. I felt like it wasn't safe to go over there with kids only because we realized when we've done some research that you got to be really careful. There's no way of recovering from that. No matter how great of a swimmer, I did need to help my daughter down the mountain from the puffins, but it was a very enjoyable walk. You know, what was funny is your father felt like he had to go help you down and you yeah. went and helped your daughter down. Uh, we were all thinking we needed help and we really didn't. It, it just, just looked so worse. So I see the next day on your itinerary, it looks like you had a fairly busy day. You got up early to see two of the more famous waterfalls with Skoga Foss and a Cellulanda Foss where you can walk behind the waterfall. Yeah. And then you took a mountain taxi into the Icelandic highlands, in particular to see Land Manalager and Thorsmark. Karen, describe the experience of taking a mountain taxi, what it means to say something's a mountain taxi. Talk about the experience of spending a full day taking a mountain taxi into Lager and Thorsmark and maybe some of the attractions you saw that day with the ice caves and, and the demolition of that. Describe that day of 18 hours in the Icelandic interior. That was very unique for me because that's a, I would not have seen those sites had it not been for this trip we took because, for one thing, I'm immobily challenged to a point. They took us back to a camp that only hikers get to go to. And it was just interesting to see it's a different way of life for these hikers. So can hike 10 miles a day in this backland of Iceland. We saw the volcano, the top that's filled with water. It, it allows you to see certain parts of, of Iceland that only hikers do. You're driving the Jeep over top in between rivers and to get to the places. 
So yeah, places we would never walk to. And then the lakes, you'll never see water like that. We were oh. joking that there were fish in these lakes because it's just a volcanic area that's been opened up and that's only rainwater in there. We were joking that does someone fish in there? And the guy said, yeah, there's actually fish in there from the birds that have brought the fish right. to those lakes. That was an interesting fact when we were there. Beautiful blue water, baby blue. He also instructed us on the, the warning signs of a volcano that would be erupting, like the signs we had to worry about. That's right. They do have prominent roadside signs that spell out uh, how to read the different warning signals that if there is a volcanic eruption, what you should do, and depending on where you're at in the mountain, what precautions you should take or which direction you should head to avoid what may be an imminent volcanic eruption. And just for our audience's clarification, Lamanalaga is slightly further to the north. It is most famous for having the iron in red-colored hues that are very much painted, almost like a Badland hue. And Thor's Mark, in contrast, is more the green-painted narrow canyons that are further to the south. You want to describe the experience of, of the hazards associated with ice caves and how the Icelandic Coast Guard dealt with the attractive nuisances? We pulled up to the ice cave. We were going to go tour inside of it. And of course, there's a barrier there that kept us from being able to go in. But we were allowed to stay and watch them blow it up because they said it was just dangerous that the ice had compiled too much on the top and it was ready to crack and it would be dangerous to go in. So we sat there. What we thought was interesting, it was the Coast Guard, the Iceland Coast Guard blowing it up. We thought, I don't know how many miles we were inland. That was an exciting little adventure. How often can people say they watch an ice cave being blown up? I know. And we were so depressed that we weren't there an hour before so we could get into the ice cave before they blew it up. That is the one thing I wanted to see. However, I do hear ice caves in August are extremely dangerous. I appreciate them taking care of the safety over there. For audience's benefit, what is a mountain taxi? We hired this company that came out in these trucks that have four by four tires, huge tires, because they have to put air in and out because the roads that they have to go over are extremely different and dangerous that some tires need, you need to let air out to go over some temperamented paveways. It was a huge truck that we would go in and someone drive us to and from. We didn't have to worry about knowing directions or anything. That helped us find Thor's Mark and okay. Yale Lamb Analogger. It was worth the extra money to have a mountain taxi guy drive us and, and do that excursion. Okay. And so I understand after what really are two full day trips, you combine into a single day. And, and by the way, they're not that complimentary routes. There is no easy route between Lamb Analogger and Thor's Mark. You made your way back to Reykjavik at the Hotel Kvosin at night, and you had really one day to catch your breath before you got on a flight back to the United States. So... Describe staying at Hotel Kvosin, downtown in the shadow of the parliament, and how you catch your breath your last day in, in Iceland. So I guess we ended up in Hotel Kvosin the night after a 10-hour you know, road trip. So we were exhausted. We really just wanted a good bed to sleep in and a really nice, clean hotel to have a stay. And when we got in there, it was exactly that. It was a clean place, lots of room. Wonderful, comfortable beds, and it was right in the heart of Reykjavik. So it made it even fun because you could go right outside your door and there are things right there for you. Our kids were Pokemon hunting the next day, so we had one full day with Hotel Kavosim, which was just perfect for us because it let us unwind and relax and get ready and pack for our trip for the next day. Also, it's so safe there yeah. that our kids could really leave the hotel on their own, come back an hour or two later, and we really were not worrying about them. The crime rate is just so low in Iceland. Yeah, it was a very nice place to to let your teenagers go out. I loved staying in Reykjavik there. I loved the boutiques. I loved the bakeries, the crepes. So, Kaylee, what are the highlights for somebody who might be 16 years old and traveling to Iceland? Yeah, so beyond the Zodiac tours and the Glacier Beach, I would say that a very Kaylee highlight is how much I enjoyed the wildlife there. The puffins looked just as cartoonish in person as you would hope that they would. And the seals were also really cute and fun to just hang out and watch there for a few minutes. They were a little bit harder to see, but it was always in a great location. I also really enjoyed the geological formations in Iceland. All of the sites just remind you of the timescale of the Earth. 
and the basalt columns and lava fields, the lunar craters and geysers were just so cool to look at. And they really bring out a genuine curiosity in your surroundings that I don't really get at a lot of places when we travel. Finally, I think as a teenager in Iceland, I really like the photo opportunities. I think it made everyone on my Snapchat very jealous for those few weeks. My favorite photo from the trip was at Dedifoss, where it looked like I was falling down the waterfall, but I was just safely on a little, a big ledge below. I think that was a great acting performance on my part as well. I also really liked sitting on top of the eggs for the photos in Jupi Vulgar, or however you say it. I really liked looking like I was hatching the, the puffin egg. And for our audience's benefit, Jopi Volger is just east of Hoffen, basically at 4.30 on the Icelandic N1 Beltway. What are the do's and do nots, the do's and don'ts of Iceland? Well, you definitely have to book your hotels in advance because the hotels and, and B&Bs are few and far between there. The other thing is bring along a pair of decent hiking boots. Take it slow. Don't rush yourself through Iceland because it's a feast for the eyes, the beauty, the natural beauty. You have some long drives between stops, but it's just so absolutely gorgeous. You get to know Iceland, and it sets the tone for your trip. Drink their water. It's delicious. It's pure. You won't have any trouble with it. Okay. Thank you very much. So, uh, Karen, for Iceland, uh, those are your do's, but what are your do-nots? Okay, I only have a few of the do-nots, but one thing is do not bother counting your waterfalls. There's just too many of them. Do not wear a pair of tennis shoes, because if you do, they would develop a stench so bad, people 10 feet in front and 10 people behind you will stop and stare. I know. (laughs) I experienced it. And from one baby boomer to another, don't let your age stop you from exploring Iceland. There are plenty of places to rest while the rest of your party continues to explore. And Iceland's so safe, you can sit and be by yourself for long period of time and nobody will bother you. Do not eat the fermented shark for several reasons, but just don't bother eating it. And do not litter, even by accident. We had an instance where a napkin, one little napkin blew out of our car as we opened the door, it was so windy. And a guide stopped his whole speech and grabbed that napkin and and berated us for allowing this napkin to go flying. Oh yeah, and if you take the catmobile up to the top of the glacier, grab onto your grandchildren, because as soon as that guide says not to go to the edge of the glacier, your grandkids will run and see how far down it is to the bottom, so hold them tight. And the snorkeling at the Continental Divide was a little strenuous for this boomer. Please try to do it, but know that if you can't finish it, there are plenty of places to sit and watch and wait for your party to return. Bob, what are the do's and don'ts of Iceland? I think there's a lot to do in Iceland. I'll begin with our first day in Reykjavik. It was nice to be near downtown and near the harbor. So, so that would be two places or a place you'd like to visit. And one of my fondest memories of that was going to the Papa Concert Hall, and in the hall they had a gift shop or a souvenir shop. So I got a few things there. One was a couple of books. I found out about a few things like uh, the folklore of Iceland, about the elves and the trolls and the ghost and the monster. And that allowed me to share some stories about those things and, and Icelandic lore as we were driving. So it was something to talk about relative to Iceland while we were driving around. Another thing that's a do is, is as you're driving around Iceland, you'll find out that all the gas stations have restaurants of some sort or another. If not, at least they serve food. And the food is worthy of your time and, and energy to eat. It, it's all pretty good, particularly the meat soup. I love the meat soup. I don't know what the meat was, but I'm guessing it was probably lamb. But it was a very good soup. And, and when you're cold and wet and damp, it really made you feel better. Another thing is just sit back, relax, and enjoy all the geological wonders while you're there. And another thing you just might want to do is uh, pay attention to where you're driving and how you're driving because the roads are a little bit forgiving, but not very. You have to pay attention to what you're doing there. Okay, okay Bob, and you don't? Uh, don't take Icelandic lore very seriously, but don't let the Icelanders know that. They, they're proud of their lure, and I had a few discussions in which they were surprised to find out somebody not from Iceland knew some of those things. Don't place too much time on, on schedules and too much emphasis on their schedule and times. 
you might miss something you really wanted to see. Although I don't believe we did, but don't do that. Another thing that Karen alluded to is you really don't have to worry about unsavory people or crime or anything like that there. Basically, while you're Iceland, you just don't have to worry. Everything's pretty good that way. I think that's about all the don'ts I have. So really, one, one final question is, looking back on it across a two-week journey around the Ring Road trip, talk about the highlights, things you'd want somebody to know, any high-level retrospective things on you would advise future three-generation travelers to consider about Iceland. By all accounts, Iceland will be one of the first countries that opens up once we have vaccination and, and confidence that it is safe to travel again. So maybe I'll ask uh, Karen first, what would you tell three generations to travel to consider about going to Iceland and why they should go there? Oh, it's, it was our first trip that we took that brought us back to nature. It was relaxing, but it was thrilling. The sights were thrilling. The adventures were thrilling. It was a completely different vacation that you can go anywhere to Europe, Alaska, no matter, hands down. It's been our best trip. And I'm sorry, I'll go anywhere with my children and my grandchildren on a vacation. It, it gives us time to rebond. It gives us things to talk about. For years later, we still talk about our Iceland trip. Or Campbell cheese and broccoli soup commercial comes on, we'll all laugh. And it's just, it's fun. It's, we're making memories. And Kimberly, final thoughts on a trip to Iceland? So I can say a couple things like, the midnight sun in Iceland, the northern lights in Iceland, the geothermal baths in Iceland, the whale watching in Iceland. There are so many reasons why you would want to go to Iceland. Things that would take all generations, activities to do at our own pace. And there's a lot of great memories to be made in Iceland. All right. Well, looking sound is a nugget telling us he has to go outside. So until next time, uh Thank you very much. Grab the kids. Don't forget the grandparents. Thank you all. Have a good day.